Shabbat Shalom, and welcome to another episode of Spirit of Truth Podcast. I'm your host, Melissa Collins, and tonight we are bringing you the second installment of the God's Prophetic Calendar series that I've been presenting at Elkhorn Baptist Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. There's so much I would want to say, but I'm not going to say too much now other than it's just so much great information, so much scripture jam-packed in to the shortest of segments (laughs) that we could create. There's so much and it's so good. You don't want to miss this, so stay tuned. Good morning. Thank you guys so much for the opportunity to come back this week and speak to you guys again. I left here last week just in awe. I absolutely fell in love with this congregation. I left so full with just my cup running over and could not wait to get back to today literally have looked forward to this all week long but i have a ton of material to cover today it was so hard to really try to narrow down everything that i wanted to cover in a short amount of time so i'm just gonna go ahead and jump right in you know last week we started out talking about god's prophetic calendar and We did a quick overview of all of the holy days and went to Leviticus 23 and really didn't get past the first three or four verses. We camped out there on the Sabbath. So this week, I want to talk about Passover, unleavened bread, the Feast of First Fruits, and Pentecost. Then next week, as we are going into the Feast of Trumpets, I want to talk about the Feast of Trumpets (laughs) and the Day of Atonement and the Feast of Tabernacles. So definitely looking forward to next week. Um, Just a quick recap, though. Last week, we started out in the beginning and we saw that the word there listed for seasons is the Hebrew word moed or moedim in plural, which means an appointment with God. And that's an appointment that was set in place from creation. And that the very reason that the sun, moon, and stars are in place are to tell us when it's time to meet with our creator. We read in Exodus 13, 9, And among other places, how keeping Passover and keeping Shabbat is a sign on our forehead and our hand. We also read that Satan never has an original thought. And he was counterfeiting what God had already put into place and created his own sign or mark on the forehead and hand. So in order to be able to recognize a counterfeit, 
we have to be super familiar with the authentic. So if we don't know the authentic very well, then in the last days, even the elect may be deceived. So let's hop on in and get started and let's go read 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles, let's grab them and turn there now. My Bible says, Now brothers and sisters, about the times and dates, we don't need to write you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly, as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, you are not in darkness, so this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So, wow. (laughs) So... Contrary to popular belief, it will not come as a thief in the night to some people. Granted, there are two groups of people, and it will come as a surprise. It will come as a thief in the night for some, but for others, those who are in the light. Proverbs 6.23 tells us that the Torah, God's instructions, our Old Testament That is light. Psalms 119, 142, your Torah, your instructions, it is light and a lamp to our feet. So it is the front of our book that is giving us the light, lighting our path so that we are not in darkness. And it is in here where we will know how to watch and know the season of his return. So God's holy days, his calendar, this is all about Yeshua. He said in John 5:46, if you believed Moses, you would believe me for he wrote about me. And in Luke 24:44, It says, and he spake unto them, these are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Jesus is literally in all of the Old Testament. He's just hidden behind a veil. You know, last week, um, I shared with you one of the tools that I use uh, when I'm doing my Bible study, and it's the Blue Letter Bible app. And I know a lot of you guys wrote that down, and I, I thought that you were going to, you know, download it or check it out. So if you did, I just want to issue you a challenge to look up Genesis 49 verse 18 and so if you go there now and click on the interlinear concordance option i want you to look and see what the word is there for salvation 
handed Yeshua. He has been there. The name of Er Messiah has been there. Jesus has been in the Old Testament here before our eyes this whole time. And we didn't even know it. The spring feast tell the salvation story. As the Israelites were slaves in Egypt when they were in that bondage, just as we have been in bondage and slaves to sin. And we all cry out to God and he hears our cries and provides a means to salvation. The blood of the lamb covers us from the curse of sin and death and the angel of death passes over. We run away from the bondage out of Egypt and we follow after God, but the enemy pursues and God makes a way to escape. Signifying first fruits, we enter the water of the Red Sea or baptism and we leave behind the old way of life. We break through the waters, being born again, raised up a new man, and en route to the promised land. Signifying Pentecost, we make a covenant with God and we vow our life to live a life of service of Him and we receive the instructions and His Holy Spirit. Without the blood of the Lamb applied to the doorpost of our hearts, we cannot leave Egypt and we will die in our sins. In order to be saved, we must leave Egypt and join the congregation of Israel or the household of God, first accepting the blood and second leaving Egypt. It's a pattern of faith and works, which is a pattern for the end of days. When we study the front of this book, it makes so much more sense when we read the back of the book. So Passover, it is on Nisan 14, which is around March, April on our calendars. It's a one day feast in our remembrance of leaving Egypt. And it's when the Passover lamb is slain and eaten. It's always on a full moon. So let's read a little bit about Passover in our scriptures. Leviticus 23 says that these are the Lord's appointed festivals, the sacred assemblies you are to proclaim at their appointed times. The Lord's Passover begins at twilight on the 14th day of the first month. On the 15th day of that month, the Lord's festival festival of unleavened bread begins for seven days you must eat bread without yeast on the first day hold a sacred assembly and do no regular work for seven days present a food offering to the lord and on the seventh day hold a sacred assembly and do no regular work so we'll stop right there for just a moment but we see that it's on knees on 14 And that means it's always a full moon. So we read how Passover is an appointed time 
forever throughout your generations but what happened to passover why are we as christians not celebrating passover today and that changed by man it was the first council of nicaea in 325 a.d and it said that its main accomplishments were the settlement of the christological issue of the divine nature of god the son and his relationship to god the father and the construction of the first part of the nicene creed which mandated uniform observance of the date of easter it was the first council of nicaea then in 325 who established only two two rules namely independence from the hebrew calendar away from passover and they commanded a worldwide uniformity to easter it was also constantine who changed the sabbath it was on march 7th in 321 that constantine the great issued the first civil sunday law compelling all people in the roman empire except for farmers to rest on Sunday. This, along with five other civil laws decreed by Constantine concerning Sunday, set the legal precedents that we still follow today for all Sunday legislation from, time, from that time to the present that forbids the observance of a Saturday Sabbath. And it was again in the fourth century that it, this time it was the Council of Laodicea who urged Christians to honor Sunday by abstaining from work on that day, if at all possible, and then prohibited them from abstaining from work on Saturday. So we see it was man every time who changed the rules. But we know from Psalms 89, 34, that God himself pledges not to alter his commands. He says, My covenant I will not break, nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips. So as part of the Passover is a commanded meal. And this is what we call a Passover Seder. And I apologize now for my southern twang on my Hebrew. (laughs) But this Seder meal is a family meal, whether it's your church family or your household family, that's eaten per the biblical instructions, but also include beautiful traditions that also point to Yeshua. And again, Seder just means order. So it's a meal that is eaten in a certain order of events. So uh, let's get our Bibles out again. And this time let's go to Exodus 12. And uh, let's read verses 1 through 29, I believe. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be your first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month to take a lamb for his family, 
one for each household. And if any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of, number of people that there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance to what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect. You may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and the tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night, they are to eat meat roasted over fire along with the bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or boiled in water. You are to roast it with fire with the head, the legs, and the internal organs. Do not leave any of it till morning. If some is left until morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it. With your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. And on that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals. I will bring judgment on all of the gods of Egypt. I am your Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on your houses where you are. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is a day that you're to commemorate for the generations to come. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. For seven days you are to eat bread made without yeast. On the first day, remove the yeast from your houses. For so whoever eats anything with yeast in it from the first through the seventh must be cut off from Israel. On the first day, hold a sacred assembly. And another one on the seventh day. Do no work at all on these days except to prepare food for everyone to eat. That is all you may do. Celebrate the festival of unleavened bread because it was on this very day that I brought your divisions out of Egypt. Celebrate this day as a lasting ordinance for generations to come. In the first month, you are to eat bread made without yeast from the evening of the 14th day until the evening of the 21st day. For seven days, no yeast is to be found within your homes. And anyone whether native or foreign, who eats anything with yeast in it must be cut off from the community of Israel. Eat nothing made with yeast. Wherever you live, you must eat unleavened bread. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go at once and select the animals for your families. Slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop. Dip it into the blood of the basin. And put some of the blood on the top and on both sides of the door frame. None of you shall go out of the door of your house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the tops and the sides of the door frame, and he will pass over that doorway. He will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. 
Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you as he promised, observe the ceremony. And when your children ask you, what does the ceremony mean to you? Then tell them, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt, spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Then the people bowed down and worshiped and the Israelites did just what the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. So that is part of what we call the telling. And that is, I have an example of different, it's called Haggadahs. And I have three different examples here. And basically this outlines the order of the meal and includes a retelling of the Exodus story. And it gives a special order in how to eat all of these elements. So another thing that I brought an example of is matzah. So you can see this is flat, unleavened bread. And it's always striped and pierced. We know by his stripes we are healed. And they will look upon the one they have pierced. We know he is the bread of life born in Bethlehem, which means literally in Hebrew, house of bread. We know that he is the Passover lamb that is slaughtered and eaten at twilight. We know that Yeshua is the sinless, spotless lamb without blemish whose blood is now applied on the doorpost of our hearts. And just as the lambs in the original Exodus story were to not have their bones broken, we know in John 19.33 that the others who were crucified that day had their legs broken. They did not break Yeshua's limbs. And there are bitter herbs we see that there was hyssop that they used in the original Exodus to apply the blood to the doorpost of their homes. We see those bitter herbs again in this meal, but we also saw them again at the crucifixion. When Yeshua was thirsty, they used hyssop to give him vinegar on the end of that branch. We also see salt water in this meal. One being salt is a sign of a covenant. It is part of every covenant meal. And then the salt water representative of the tears cried by the Israelite slaves and crying out to God. And then when they pierced Yeshua on the cross, it was blood and water that flowed out of him. Speaking of blood, there are also four cups of wine that is part of this meal. And these are exactly the same four cups in the order of the wedding. And if I know you guys have already covered that, but you know, in the order of the wedding up to through the engagement, there are three cups of wine 
that the the groom will drink but the fourth cup of wine he does not drink into the actual wedding ceremony and we see Yeshua again follow that example in Luke 22:18 when he says he will not drink of the fruit of the vine again until that day so he's perfectly fulfilling every detail down to the little tiniest detail of the Passover he is fulfilling it it fulfilling it exactly Exodus 23 verse 15 says celebrate the festival of unleavened bread for seven days eat bread made without yeast do this at the appointed time in the month of Aviv this is the month you come out of Egypt no one is to appear before me empty-handed numbers 9 verses 13 and 14 say but if anyone who is ceremonially clean and not on a journey fails to celebrate the passover they must be cut off from their people for not presenting the lord's offering at the appointed time you will bear the consequences of their sin a foreigner residing among you also is to celebrate the lord's passover in accordance with its rules and regulations you must have the same regulations for the foreigner and the native born unleavened bread we read that it is the first and seventh day these are high sabbaths and there are to be no work the evening after yeshua died began unleavened bread the three days that yeshua was in the belly of the earth he was rid in his father's house of sin just as the jews were ridding leaven representative of sin out of their homes no bread with yeast is to be eaten or found within your home for seven days you shall eat nothing leavened in all of your dwellings you shall eat no leavened bread it is a reminder of quickly leaving egypt to follow god and the three days and three nights in the tomb fulfills the sign of Jonah, Matthew 12, 40. And just speaking about the observance of unleavened bread, you know, it's really not that hard to not eat leavened bread for a whole week. In the beginning it was, but the longer we observed, it really wasn't that hard to not eat the bread but the hard part was the removing of the leaven from our homes which is representative of just this introspective self audit to remove sin from our lives and you know whether it was leaven hiding in the dark spot in the back of a cabinet which is most likely representing some sin we do in the dark that we think no one sees it gets exposed and it is something that we have to deal with or maybe it's you know a couple of years ago for me it was the bread and the toaster that i had just left there and i felt like for me anyway that it was representative of some bitterness maybe even hatred and unforgiveness that i was just letting harbor in my heart and not addressing it so 
every single year I try to start my preparations a little early and year after year I you know continue to find a place where I'll I'll say that I can improve (laughs) uh so let's look real quick I know I'm getting crunched on time at the timeline of Jesus I want to touch on this it was sundown at Passover Tuesday when he would have been eating with his disciples. Wednesday, he was crucified and died as the Passover lamb. They had to get him off of the cross before Sabbath. Sabbath being Thursday, unleavened bread. So sundown Wednesday, he was crucified. He goes into the ground at sundown. That's when unleavened bread begins. He was in the belly of the earth for three days and three nights. So Wednesday night through Thursday night was one. Thursday night through Friday night was two. And Friday night through Saturday night was three. So Saturday night, between Saturday night and Sunday morning, he was resurrected and out of the grave as the first fruits of the resurrection. But before moving on, I just feel led to point out that from Good Friday to Resurrection Sunday, which is what the Nicene Council would have us celebrate, that would disqualify Jesus from being the Messiah. Because for the sign of Jonah, he had to be in the belly of the earth, just like the well, for three full days and three full nights. And that's just bad math. From Friday to Sunday, you're only getting two. But with the celebration and observance of Passover, unleavened bread, and first fruits, you get to actually see the divine royalty of Jesus. And there's no denying that he is the Messiah. So for first fruits, it is the first day after the weekly Sabbath during the Passover season. That's the same day that the Israelites crossed the Red Sea. Again, it commemorates living Egypt, being saved from the enemy. It echoes the symbolism of baptism and resurrection breaking the water, being born again, leaving the old man behind, arising to a new man and a new life, the waves of water symbolizing the waves of the barley offering. And I get asked a lot, are you trying to be Jewish by observing these? And no, I'm not, but Jesus was Jewish And I want to emulate him. So if you think that, that's okay. But why am I trying to celebrate them? It's because I'm trying to hear and do, which means Shema in Hebrew. It says to teach these things diligently to my children. It says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and all thy soul and with all thy might. And these words which I command you today shall be in thine heart. And you shall teach them diligently unto thy children. 
talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the way, when you lie down and when you rise up, and you shall bind them for a sign upon your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes, and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. That's why. He also said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And I do love him, so I'm compelled to try. James 2.18 says, Yeah, a man may say thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. So in other words, keeping the commandments, following these instructions and these observe, observing these holy days, this is just evidence. It's fruit of our salvation. You can't earn your salvation. We know that. It is a gift freely given that we are not worthy to receive. But faith is a verb that requires action. And I think Jim Staley said it best when he used the illustration of a chair. We can say that we believe this chair will hold us up. And that's a very western-minded way of thinking faith that we just simply believe this chair will hold us up we believe in this chair we have faith in it but the eastern the hebraic way of faith when you say faith in the hebrew language it requires action so faith in hebrew would be sitting in this chair and that's how i look at observing these holy days I want to have an action behind what I believe Deuteronomy 28 have you read that I won't read all verses 1 through 14 but it talks about the blessings will chase you down these blessings will overtake you if you keep his ways and I would like to be a part of that But again, his instructions say to do this forever, perpetually, as a lasting ordinance each year throughout your generations. And we see that these repetitions, these reminders are creating habits. Brad Scott said it best, God is smarter than we are. And he knows if we don't create these habits, then we will forget. Do you remember all of your algebra or your foreign languages that you took in high school? I sure don't. Because if we don't use it, we lose it. (laughs) So he knows that we are at risk of forgetting this knowledge if we don't practice and rehearse. And there are scriptures that say... Let's look at Jeremiah 16, 14. It says, Therefore the day will come, says Yahweh, when it's no longer said, Yahweh lives who brought up the children of Israel from the land of Egypt. Rather, it'll be said, Yahweh lives that brought up the children of Israel from the land of the north and from all the lands where he had driven them. And I will bring them again to their land and I gave to their fathers. So some people say, This is talking about the Israelites or the tribe of Judah 
when they returned to the land in 1948. But I say no, because we're still talking about the first exodus when he brought them out of Egypt. And the scripture literally says that there'll be a greater exodus when we will talk about how he brought the children away and no longer will we talk about the exodus from Egypt. There's another verse in Isaiah 11 through Isaiah 11 verses 11 through 16. And it shall come to pass in that day that Yahweh shall set his hand again the second time to remove the remnant of his people, which shall be left from Assyria. That's a clue. And from Egypt and from Pathos and from Cush and from Elam and Shinar and from Hamath and from the islands of the seas. And he shall set up an ensign for the nations and shall assemble the outcast of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. And there shall be a highway for the remnant of his people, which shall be left from Assyria, like it was in Israel in the day that he came up out of the land of Egypt. Hmm. So if we remember when the two houses split, Judah was taken into captivity in Babylon, think time of Daniel, but Judah has already returned. The house of Jacob or Israel never came back after the captivity by the Assyrians. We were scattered into the Gentiles. He said in Jeremiah 9, I will scatter them also among the Gentiles whom neither they nor their fathers have known. So we've not come back yet. So knowing there's a greater exodus, I think this might bid us well to prepare So, quickly, I want to talk about why did Yeshua have to die? So, again, I know I say this a lot, but it is a love story. It is about a land and a people and a wedding. At Mount Sinai, this is where God's people became betrothed or engaged to him. This was Pentecost. God presented his side of the covenant. He said, if you will do these things, I will bless you. And the people said, all he said we will do. That's Exodus 19.8. And boom, they're engaged. But from the Hebrew perspective, they were betrothed, which is much more serious than the American engagement. Essentially, they're married just without consummation. But before the marriage supper could come, Israel committed spiritual adultery and they went about whoring after other gods. You can read about this in um, Hosea 4, 15 through 19 and Jeremiah 3, 8. And adultery is grounds for divorce. So in Jeremiah 3, 8, God divorced Israel. So now all hope is lost. Because God is just, and he is a righteous king. So therefore, God must abide by his own laws that he has written. His law says that a man cannot return to his ex-wife after divorce if she has been with another. So as far as we could tell, Israel could never reconcile with Yahweh their first love. 
That's Jeremiah 3, 1 and Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4. But there was hope in Yeshua. Romans 7, 2 and 1 Corinthians 7, 39. A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, then she is free to marry anyone she wishes. So the death of Yeshua, with that, we were released from that betrothal at Mount Sinai. We were released from the burden from that law that brought sin and death. If Yeshua hadn't died, we would have been lost forever in our sin with no hope for reconciliation. But with his death, that gives us his bride the freedom to marry again. That's in Romans 8.12. That loophole that the devil didn't see coming is that Yeshua defeated death and was resurrected. So now we can be reconciled to him, his bride, and we partake in the marriage supper of the lamb. Jeremiah 31, 31 through 33. So it's still all about a wedding, an engagement, a divorce, a death, redemption. So quickly, let's look at the Hebrew wedding customs. Once a bride is chosen, she begins to prepare herself. She cleanses herself. She takes baths for a year with oils and perfumes, doing her absolute best to prepare herself. The groom has gone away to prepare a place for them, and only the father can tell the groom when it is finished and ready. So only the father knows when the groom can return. But while the groom is away, he sends a gift to let his bride know he is thinking about her. Once the place is prepared and the father gives the okay for the groom to fetch his bride, the groom sends his servant ahead of himself to make the announcement with trumpets that the groom is coming for his bride to make herself ready with final preparations. They are married under a hoopah and consummate the marriage. Blood is shed, and there is proof for his judgment that she was a chaste bride. Traditionally, they also fast on this day, and then there is a wedding feast and a celebration that lasts for seven days. Then the groom sent a gift. John 16, 7 says, But I tell you the truth, it is for your benefit that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. The gift of the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of Truth was given in Acts 2 at the Feast of Shavuot or Pentecost. It's 50 days after Passover. You have the counting of the seven weekly Sabbaths. And then on the 50th day is Shavuot. It's found in Leviticus 23, 15 and 16. And this is the same day that 1,200 years earlier, the law was given at Mount Sinai. We read in Exodus 32, 28, 3,000 men fell that day at the incident of the golden calf 
And then we see in Acts 2, when the Spirit of Truth comes, that 3,000 souls were added. 3,000 fell, 3,000 added. God is drawing a clear connection for us. The actual Torah, the truth was given at the first Pentecost, the Spirit giving at the second, the fulfillment at the second Pentecost. So for spirit and truth, we read in John 4, 23, verses 24 through 23. But the hour cometh, and it now is, when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. For 3,000 years prior to Pentecost, the world had the truth. Psalms 119-142 says your Torah is truth. Man added to it, making it extreme and legalistic. Yeshua came and talked to the Pharisees and the Sadducees about this. Then he ascended and sent back the Holy Spirit. So for these last 2,000 years, we as a whole have taken this to the whole other extreme in that same manner being so spiritual that we have forgotten a lot of the truth. So we have this, the Jews on this side so far to the left with the truth, the Christians on this side so far to the right in the spirit, But the Father is calling us back. He's calling us back to the roots of our faith. Back to putting things in balance. And back to Him. He is bringing the Jews in one stick. And the Christians with one stick to be one stick in His hand. He is grafting us in to be one stick. We could read Ezekiel 37 verses 15 through 25, but we're running out of time. I just want to know, do you hear the sound of the trumpet? If you remember in Exodus at Mount Sinai, the trumpets, Exodus 19, 19, the trumpet kept getting louder and louder and longer and longer. And it reminded me of the birth pains, but then how the contractions come on and they get closer together and they get stronger. But Micah 5, 3, and in talking about the birth pain, it's a talking about our return to Israel. And this is the trumpet of God. His voice is calling and it is getting louder and louder and longer and longer and stronger and stronger. He is calling his sheep, and I know you recognize his voice. Let us answer that call, and let's meet him next week for his holy appointment with us on the Feast of Trumpets and see what else he has to say and see what he has in store to reveal to us. Thank you guys so much. Thanks for allowing me this time and opportunity. I'm officially out of time. I can't 
wait until we meet together again to talk about the fall feast. God bless you all.